Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Lord, thank you for the good reports, God, that Cadence got to go home. Look like that might never happen again. And Lord, that Catherine is able to talk in sentences and do rehab and that the doctors say it's going to be a rough road, but there's going to be a recovery. And Lord, even with Travis, I know it's a, it's a change of life and having to look at some, some orthopedics or some, um, Lord, some, some di- different kinds of some legs and things that's there, but God, the fact that you got rid of the cancer, Lord, is a, is a blessing. Father, I just pray, God, you'd, you'd hear these prayer requests that are mentioned, Lord, and the ones that are still struggling. God, we thank you for all that you have done. I thank you that we can come to you and know, God, that you're not through doing miracles and that you're not through listening and hearing prayers. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for this book. I pray you teach us something tonight, God. I pray you give us something out of your word that would help us, Father. We love you. We just want to be pleasing to you, God. I pray you'd meet each person in here tonight, right where they are, God. Meet each person in each place. Give us something from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to turn back, Acts chapter 8, we left off at verse number 14 last week when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent unto them Peter and John. That was where we left off last week. That was another one I needed to put on there. I'll keep praying for, for Chris and Paulette. Keep them on there. Um, that was another one. I'm trying to think of all the ones that I missed scanning through my prayer list a while ago. Chris and Paulette, that's another one I've got on there. Continue to pray for them. It goes on in verse number 15. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on him, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. So thank you, you guys can be seated. That's probably... About as many verses we'll get to look at tonight. But as we looked at before, the apostles have heard about what's going on in Samaria. And man, the big guns have gone down there. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than Peter and John. The, the, the top dogs, if you will, have gone from the church of Jerusalem. Remember when, when the persecution, everybody ran from Jerusalem. The Christians were dispersed, scattered abroad. And that's how the word of God was sent out the way it was told to be sent out. It said that, that the church dispersed. It said, but the... The uh, apostles stayed at Jerusalem. So we see here that Peter and John goes out. If you remember when we were in chapter 6 and we saw that the Grecian, the Grecian-born Jews were complaining because their widows were not properly cared for. And the apostles said, look, appoint yourselves seven men of honest report. Let them see to the matter that we give ourselves continually to prayer and to study preparation of the words but what we see you know Philip like Stephen was one of the first seven was a deacon of the church so we we at no point in here does he ever give us that he was a called preacher or that he was a called pastor what it says is that he went to Samaria a place that the Jews despised and he began to preach the gospel not because of a title but because of a life I'm just putting that out there free for all of us It's not about a title. We are all preachers. As Christians, we are to share the gospel wherever God gives us an opportunity. And we see that Philip goes out, and so there becomes this great revival. And and then Peter and John, they they go down to, to check it out. And once they get there, 
Philip kind of falls back into the limelight. There's another thing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but something else you could preach on It's important. Philip went where nobody else wanted to go. Philip went to the place that no other Jew, nobody else in Jerusalem wanted to go near that city. Remember we talked about how the Jews would cross the Jordan River and go up the other side just to keep them going through the region of Samaria, not to mention over here to go through the city. Philip went to where nobody else wanted to go, and God did a great work. Now Peter and John come down there, Philip steps back. Just because God uses us to start something, that doesn't make it ours. Just because God maybe starts a ministry or builds a ministry around one of us, that doesn't make it ours. That just makes us God's. And God can send somebody. Matter of fact, it'll be next Wednesday probably before we get to it. We find that God had another plan for Philip. As we look at the Ethiopian that God sent him down from Jerusalem south toward Gaza, but we're not going to make it that far tonight. But I would feel confident that Philip was glad to see him come. I believe Philip would have been glad to see him there and glad to see their support and glad to see the encouragement. Not only that, I believe it was a surprise to the people of Samaria to see Peter and John show up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, the Jews hate you, and here you got two of the, the biggest name apostles, and they show up. And, and by them showing up, that, that shows that, that the isolation of their past from the Jews or or the hatred that the Jews had for them is now set aside through Jesus Christ. The text says, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So as soon as, as Peter and, and John saw the truth of what's going on, immediately it says that they, they prayed for them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is no longer necessary in our lives today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I want to spend some time there because that we don't have to do that today. On the day that we are saved, at the minute we trust Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, at the moment we turn our life over to Christ, ask Him to forgive us of our sins, that our name be written in the Lamb's book of life, we become the temple of the living God immediately. The Acts of the Apostles, this is the early days, this is the infancy of the church, this is the beginning time of the church. By the time Paul wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, he said, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Not because somebody prayed for him to come dwell, but at the moment you became a child of the living God, the Spirit of God moved in. He said in chapter 6, verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So at the moment that we got saved, praise God, all of our sins were washed away, past, present, and future. Every sin was washed away. We became children of the living God, and at that moment we are filled with the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit moves in so that what, what Paul writes there is that we become the temple of the living God. We don't get a little booster shot of the Holy Spirit when we get saved and then get doses as we go along. 
You don't get a little bit of salvation and get another little bit each time you go to church or read the Bible. You don't get a starter kit of the Holy Spirit, and then every time you do something for God, you get a little bit more. You get the Holy Spirit in completion at the moment of salvation. We are filled with the Holy Ghost at the moment. We become the temple of the living God, then we get all we're going to get. How much the Holy Spirit leads our life, how much the Holy Spirit guides our lives and directs our lives depends on how much we study God's Word. It depends on how much time we spend in prayer. It depends on how, depends on how much we desire God to lead our lives. It depends on how much are we willing to turn over to Him because we're supposed to turn it all over. So how much the Holy Spirit actually guides our life still depends on how willing we are to turn it over. But how much we get, we get all we're going to get at the moment that we're saved. Paul says when he wrote his letter to the church at Rome, chapter 8, verse 8, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. If Christ be in you... The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we know that at the moment of salvation, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody in here, if you are a saved, born-again child of God, you know what it, like, what it feels like to be saved. You know what it feels like on the day that everything changed. Not the day you repeated a prayer. Not the day you said something after somebody. Not the day you had a judgment journey trail and come up in a tent. By now you done got scared and you repeated a few words after somebody. But on the moment when you truly trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, everything changed. There was a whole new inside. Everything in me was different. There was something in me that didn't just want to break bad habits or break or change my vocabulary. There was something in me to help me do it. There was something in there that despised the old me. There was something in there that despised the things that I used to do. And for everybody that has ever been saved, you know exactly what it is on the day when you accepted Christ, that you begin to think differently. You begin to want to act differently. You begin to want to hang around some different people. You really begin to want to change the people that you used to hang around. But all they want to know is, man, what's the matter with you? What happened to you? When you try to tell them, they abandon you because they don't want none of it. Because what happened on that day is the Holy Spirit of God moved in and we became filled with the Holy Spirit. So this verse says that they went there and they laid their hands on them and then they received the Holy Spirit. So I kind of wanted to know a little bit about what would have been different because we don't have to do that now. I have heard in some old Pentecostal style people talk about, well, I got saved and now I'm praying for the, the gift of tongues. Or now I'm praying for the gift of healing. I'm praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you've got Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't got the Holy Spirit, 
you hadn't got Jesus. So back up to step one, get Jesus, and you ain't got to pray for nothing else except God help me be what you'd have me to be. So, so I studied a little bit as best as I can tell, and I, I want you to know this is only about an hour's worth of studying on this. I wasn't going to get bogged down. I just read a few commentaries, looked at some things in the study Bible, pulled up some things in some, some books from different people, some Harold Wilmington, some guys that I've got some books on. As best as I can tell, the, the feeling of the Holy Spirit in salvation began at the moment uh, on the day when the Holy Spirit arrived, we know that Jesus told those apostles to go back at Jerusalem. And he said, you tarry there until the Holy Spirit comes. And we know that on the day of Pentecost, which is the 50th day after the Passover, after the Feast of Weeks, the seven weeks of seven, the number 50 is always the Holy Spirit. We know that on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit showed up and, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And then the apostles, uh, after they, they were told to to go out, they, they went out and Peter preached, and we know that 3,000 were added that day to the church. As other people were saved, they, they received the filling of the Holy Ghost, but the filling of the Holy Ghost is the same thing that we get. He leads our life. He guides our life. He directs our life. He helps us put off the old things. But if you remember, the apostles had something different. They, they had a gift. That, that just everybody didn't have. They had the ability to heal the sick. They had the ability, like Jesus, to cast out demons at the voice. If you remember, it says that Peter passing by, that his shadow passing on people, sick people were made healed, just be, were made whole just because of his shadow passing by. So there was something different. And this seems to be what the apostles are giving to those present. If you remember what Jesus told them, Matthew chapter 10, y'all remember? He anointed them, he sent them out, and he told them to go out, and he told them what to do, and if somebody won't have you, then you to shake the dust off your shoes as a testimony against that city. But here's what he told them, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. But then he said this, freely ye have received, freely give. So as best as I can tell from commentaries and different things, this is when they laid their hands on people to receive, this is the kind of apostolic power that they gave to some of these people that they were praying over. Now, we've looked at that already. I'm not going to back up again. But those apostolic powers died out with the apostles. Anybody that calls himself apostle in today's world, well, I'll leave it alone, but they're not. I'll just say that. There's no such thing as an apostle in today's world, but... Um, Unless Jesus met them on the road to Damascus and they forgot to tell us about it. But if they've not seen Jesus Christ face to face and been called of Jesus and anointed of Jesus and appointed to do those things, then they are not apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's obvious why Simon the sorcerer would have wanted this kind of power. I mean, he saw how famous he could be if he had that kind of power. Boy, if he could heal the sick or cast out devils, he could do those things. He saw how much money he could make. But before I get to Simon right here, I want to take a, a quick look at the unity that we have in Christ because there's a really good picture. Simon is kind of all in the middle of this, Simon the sorcerer. But there's a spot right here in verse 14 that says that when the apostles which were Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet was fallen upon none of them, only were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. For the first time ever, the Jews and the Samaritans are on an even playing field. 
for the first time ever, the Jews do not look at the Samaritans as dogs, as trash. For the first time ever, the Samaritans can see themselves on the level playing field with what was called, still is called, will come back and establish it again. But God's children, the Hebrew nation, the nation of Israel. So for the first time ever, we see these two on a level playing field because of this incredible one called Jesus Christ. The, the, you know, that, what is, that's a song, isn't it? The ground is level at the cross. Everybody comes to the cross the same way. Born in the flesh, lost and on our way to hell, washed in the blood of the Lamb of God, name written in the blood that can't ever be erased, sprinkled on the mercy seat, old things pass away, behold, all things become news. So we have the, the apostles have come down, and now you have Samaria and Jews made one in Christ. It, it, it is the church. We are the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the filling of the Holy Spirit that makes men one. So what we have here is that the Samaritans, not only are they not um, second-class citizens in the face of the Jews. They're not second-class Christians. Yeah, I could preach that for a little while on Wednesday night. They're not second-class Christians. Washed in the blood is washed in the blood. Saved is saved. Children of God is children of God. There is no up there, down there. They're simply the redeemed of the Lamb of God. So, so what we see is that the Samaritans are equal members in the body of Christ as the Jews. We have an entire Old Testament to talk about the Jews and the parting of the Red Sea and the water from the rock at Horeb and the manna on the ground and the crossing of the Jordan River on dry ground and, and the 12 stones for a memorial set up on the other side and the defeating of the Amorites and the Amalekites and the Jebusites and all them other ites. Only arthritis would be they'd been good if they took rid of that ite while they was at it. And left it out. You got all of those stories of the Jews, all the Bible stories, and all that God did, and everybody else is a Gentile. So it's like you have God's people, and then you have us and everybody else. And now all of a sudden, because of the church, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the bride of Christ, all the ground becomes level. I like it. So Peter and John, they go there, and they deal with the people. That would have been the beginning of the erasing of years of prejudice. Prejudice against the Samaritans and Samaritans and all honesty, prejudice against the Jews. It would have, it would have been the beginning of, of the breaking of, of years in that. So they are one in Christ. But you still got Simon there. Simon's one of those. He's, he's sitting in the church on Sunday morning. He's showing up for a men's prayer meeting on Tuesday night. He pops in at a rock altar every once in a while down there on a Tuesday morning. He, he's involved in some of the things there in church, but all he wants is the gifts of power. Simon, Simon the sorcerer's life is all about mysteries. He has demonic powers. We've talked about it before. The devil is extremely powerful. Demons are extremely powerful. We don't want nothing with the least with the least demon of hell, all of us together don't want nothing to do with him. He's a bad unit. 
but he can't stand one name. Anybody know what it is? <laughs> At the name of Jesus, the devils must flee. So, so we have the name of Jesus to, to conquer over all of it. But, but Simon has this power. But when he saw the power that the Holy Spirit had given them, that they can heal the sick and cast out devils and do things at command, he thought, boy, I, I've got to have that. Not to be used for good, not certainly not to be used for God, but to be used for self. He wanted it for personal gratification. It says that chapter 8 here, verse 18, it says that when he saw the land on the apostles' hands and the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands on, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Simon's world is just like Judas Iscariot's world. Everything has a price. Everything has a value. It's all about the money. It's all about the dollar figure. I mean, it's a shame that Judas Iscariot thought that our Lord, the Son of the living God, the Messiah prophesied of all the Old Testament, the one who came, paid our sin debt, the one that has gone to prepare a place for us, the one that's coming back to get us, the one that's going to take us all home, give us an eternal home in glory. It's a shame that, that Judas Iscariot didn't value him as any more than 30 pieces of silver. That was the common price of a common slave. But it was a value. It didn't matter if he would have gotten a million pieces of silver. He didn't get to spend one dime of it anyway. He was dead before the money even hit the ground goods. So he didn't get to spend it. But, but everything in his mind was all about money. Well, just like Judas Iscariot thought that Jesus had a market value, in Simon's world, the Holy Spirit has a market value. He wanted to buy it because he knew he would be rich. He knew if he could buy this, he could name his price. People would come to him from everywhere. Peter said, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Salvation is the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing about the Holy Spirit that can be bought. Salvation is free, the Holy Spirit is free. Salvation is not a commodity. It can't be earned. It can't be purchased. It can't, you can't store up treasures to build up for salvation. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. He is not a commodity. He cannot be earned. He cannot be worked for. He cannot be gathered up enough to get. It is the free gift of God, and the Holy Spirit is a free gift of God. That is the two single greatest gifts you and I are ever going to get. Salvation, certainly first and foremost, the undeserved gift of God to, to deliver us from a hell that we deserve and give us the freedom of salvation, but then to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have somebody to help us, to have somebody to guide us, to have somebody to give us hope, to have somebody to give us strength, to have somebody to carry us when we can't walk, to have somebody be there when no one else could be and no one else would be. The Holy Spirit that never leaves us. He's always there. So the Holy Spirit is, is the, the, the part that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. God told them, on the day that you eat of the forbidden fruit, thou shalt surely die. But they ate the fruit and they didn't die, right? Wrong. They died exactly like God intended. They died in the spirit. The body continued on, but now they no longer had the spirit. What God had created was a man in his own likeness and in his own image. He was in the likeness of God because he had the spirit of God in him. 
But when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, it was the spirit that died in them. So now they're no longer in the image of God. Now they're in the image of man, but the spirit is gone. It is the Holy Spirit that comes back to give us life. At the moment that you and I were old enough to understand what salvation meant. Now, granted, children have a, have a free pass, thank God. It, they, they're born in their innocence. They're born in sin, don't mistake that. But until they're old enough to make a willful choice, God, God takes them to heaven. But once we become old enough to understand salvation, once we become old enough to, to either accept or reject the gift of God, from that point forward, we are dead in trespasses and sins until we trust Jesus Christ. So in Adam and Eve's sin, the spirit died. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. He, he says that that which is the flesh is flesh. But that which is of the Spirit is spirit. Remember the night when he talked with Nicodemus? We do it as part of the Easter play. He talked to me. He said, marvel not that I said you must be born again. Nicodemus couldn't understand it. What, do you, do you go into your mother's womb a second time? He said, no, no, no. This was born in the flesh. The flesh is already here. But what died back in the garden was the Spirit. So we must be born again in the Spirit. So it, the Bible tells us that in sin did my mother conceive me. We were conceived in sin. We were conceived, we came up separated from God. But salvation is the restoration when the Spirit moves back in. So that I'm just saying, I'm spending a lot of time there, but that laying on of the hands was not necessary. When you got saved, you didn't have to go find somebody to lay hands on you in order for you to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. At the moment we got saved, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We got automatic, instant help that came in and helped us. Simon, the sorcerer here, he thought it was for sale. He, he thought he could buy it, but he was gravely mistaken. Money is the opposite of grace. Grace is freely given. Can't be earned. It's not deserved. It's just like mercy. It's a free gift. But, but money, that's a result of our labor. That, that's a result of, of our works, human effort. It represents worldly power, worldly perspective, worldly position even. It, it, it creates worldly wealth. John Phillips says, Money is the medium of exchange by which we convert our talents, time, and effort into material possessions, position, and power. So, so that basically, it's turning our time into wealth. That, that's money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is what? The root of all evil. Often misquoted, often misused. There ain't nothing wrong having money. I wouldn't mind having a little bit of it myself. There, there ain't nothing wrong having lots of money. Ain't that right, Chris? <laughs> Man, if I had your money, I'd throw mine away. It'd take, it'd, it'd take a pocket that big. God doesn't mind us having money. God gives us money. Anybody disagree with that? If it weren't for God, we wouldn't have health. We wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't have money. So it's God that gives us all these things. So it's not the money that's evil. It's the love of money. It, it's the desire of money over the things of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things 
will be added unto you. People desire the money, people desire the things over the things of God. Men prove every day that they have a love for money because they get up and go to work every day, not because they want to. Anybody excited about going to work tomorrow? What is the matter with you? What, you work at Dairy Queen or something? You work teach four-year-olds and you're excited? You need to go see a psychiatrist. <laughs> oh, there is something good to be said about loving your job, especially working with children. Most people get up and go to work every day because of money. It's to make money. It's to have things. But then people become so intrigued about the things that we begin to work on Wednesday nights, and we begin to work on Sunday mornings. We begin to work on Sunday nights. And all that says is money matters more. All that says is I love money, and I'm pursuing the things of money. Here's the deal. God doesn't need your money. There's not one thing in heaven can be bought. Matter of fact, there ain't enough money on this planet to buy the smallest detail of heaven. God, God doesn't need any money for the kingdom of heaven. God doesn't need money for, for this earthly kingdom. I mean, this earthly kingdom is just something he spoke from his mouth in six days and it all happened. It's not like this is anything special. He spoke it all into existence. So he, he doesn't need our money. He just puts the tithe and those things out there because that shows the position of a man's heart. The love of money is the root of evil. Simon, in his ignorance, he thought that he could buy the Holy Spirit. Last week, I said he was an imposter. I said that he was in, in the church, although he wasn't saved. It says that he was baptized, but he wasn't baptized because he wasn't saved, but at least he got dunked, but he's never been Saved. The reason I would say that is because 1 John 4 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. If Simon, were the, the sorcerer here, were of the Spirit of God, he would not be persuaded that he could buy the Holy Spirit because he would have already had the Holy Spirit. He would have already been guided by the Holy Spirit. So we've been trying to buy something that he already had. Peter is able to try the Spirit to see what manner it is. Peter is able to discern that the Spirit in Simon the sorcerer is not of God. You and I have the same spirit of discernment today. We have the exact same thing. If you're around somebody and they claim to be a Christian and they spend a lot of time talking about themselves and all they do and yada, yada, and there's not really a spirit of agreement, there may be a reason right there. I mean, I, I, I want to be, I, I be careful, but one of the greatest tools that the devil has is the people he positions within a church. Do what? Yeah, that's right. One of the greatest tools the devil has is the people that he positions in God's church to try to tear it down from the inside. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. Pride is one of the most destructive things in the life of an individual or in the life of a church. God despises a proud look. A lying tongue. Anything that is not the absolute truth is an absolute lie. It's either a truth or a lie. No in between, nothing gray, nothing shaded. God hates a lying tongue. Hands that shed 
innocent blood. To slander someone with, with the person's tongue, to tear them down, to try to destroy their life is shedding blood. It is trying to destroy their life using lips. God says that he can't stand that stuff. An evil heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Nothing is ever good. Always looking at the doom. Always tearing something down. Always devising wicked things within. Feet swift that be swift and running to mischief. Man, if you want to get a crowd together fast, just start some nasty little rumor. Just start talking bad about somebody. Just, just start tearing it down. You ever notice when those, somebody posts a YouTube or some kind of video and they talk about how it goes viral? You ever notice those are usually always pathetic? I've never seen one of those go viral that somebody got saved today. I've never seen one go viral when somebody posted that a church baptized seven people this past Sunday morning. I've never seen it go viral when we talk about a revival and how God moved and the Spirit of God moved and they sang and people got help and came to the altar top. I've never seen that. But you start putting dirt out there. Well, the whole world wants to hear that. Nothing like some good old gossip. A false witness that speaketh lies, saying things that aren't true, saying things as if they're true, whether they are or not. Um, can I tell you, circumstantial evidence and presumption is all garbage. Well, I'll leave that alone and move on. The seventh thing it says is an abomination to God. He that soweth discord among the brethren. That is an abomination. Anybody that comes into the church, anybody that comes into the family of God and tries to stir up discord within the family God says is an abomination. Don't think the devil doesn't have plants in the church. Don't think the devil, there are people out there, they don't go through a lot of hard times. Why should they? The devil don't want nothing hard on them because he, he wants them sitting in here. I, I'm, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying that this man was in church, part of the church, obviously a key part in the church, done been through baptism, but he wasn't saved. And what he was in it for was self. That, that, he says, I want the Holy Spirit for me. I, I'm not telling you to be judgmental. I'm just telling you the Bible says that we are able to try the spirits and discern whether it be of God or whether it's not. The Word of God says, try the spirit. Peter says, Simon, your spirit don't agree. I sense there's a difference because the spirit within you thinks that that what I have you can purchase. He says, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, beginning verse 44, Every tree is known by his own fruit. For thorns, for of thorns men do not gather thigs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. <coughs> Peter says to Simon the sorcerer, your, your heart's no good. I know your heart's no good because your words are no good. He wasn't cussing. He wasn't slandering. He was just desiring something that was against the will of God. Now, we still make mistakes after we get saved. You can go ahead and say amen on a Wednesday night. 
We, we all do it. We still say things after we're saved that, that we really didn't want to say. But I can tell you this, as a child of God, there are words, there are thoughts, there are phrases that cannot come out of my mouth. Cannot come out of your mouth. That, to, to say some of the hardest things, any of them, John knows is the Pharisee, some of the hardest things in the world to do is to walk out of there as a Pharisee and walk up here with Jesus on this cross and say those things. We're doing it for a play, but the Holy Spirit in me makes me cry halftime before I get out of here to have even said that, even for the play. But, but we're only doing that that others might see the price that Jesus did, but there's no way that I would say those words in my heart. You know what I mean? Those aren't coming out of our mouth because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's things that, that we can't say. Simon, because he thought he could buy the Holy Spirit, it's obvious to Peter that he wasn't truly saved. But look at verse number 22. He says, Repent, therefore, of thy wickedness, and pray, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. What we see is it's not too late for Simon to be saved. Boy, I mean, Simon, Simon's no different than me. Anybody be able to testify like myself that you can mess up for a long time and the grace of God just keeps on coming after you? You can mess up for a long time and the goodness of God just keeps on reaching out to you and the Holy Spirit just keeps on drawing you. You can be messing up for a long time and still be saved. So what we see is that he can still be saved, but, but he hasn't been saved so far, there was a profession of faith. He said he'd been saved. He got baptized, but there was no change within. There was no conviction. There was no repentance. There was no turning away from the ways of the past. I'm just saying the same things. I'll say it where I've always said it. If there's no change on the outside, there was no change on the inside. You cannot be saved. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and things not begin to be any different. He says that we shall know them by their fruits, right? Is that what the Word of God tells us? If there's no change in the fruit, then there was no change in the root. It's just that simple. He's still connected to the same old vine. So the first work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a human being who, who accepts Christ is to convict the heart of sin and guide us to a new way of life. Without that, the Holy Spirit hasn't entered in. So Without a change in a person's life, all there is is lip service. It is, it is profession without possession. So that's what we have here in Simon, but he still has a chance. Without the Holy Spirit moving in, all we have is religion. I'll read this, and I've, I've got to close. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, y'all know this, when you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils? By the way, it's the name of Jesus that does it, not them. That's the problem. You notice right here, it's everything about what I did, what I did, what I did. No, it's what the name of Jesus Christ did. And that's, that's the focus of the problem that I, I, I did this, that I, I did that. And, and 
He, it says, in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Peter shows us through his conversation there with Simon what, what we already know about the Scriptures. It's not about what we say. It's about what we live. If somebody, if you got to tell somebody that you're a Christian, you probably need to change the way you're living. If you got to tell somebody that you're a Christian and they're surprised by it, you definitely need to change the way you're living. Because there's no other saying Christ in us. So, so that's, that's the deal with Simon. Christ isn't in him, and it's obvious by what he says. I'm just saying there, there's a lot of people playing church. There's a lot of people playing church. God, thank you so much for being so good. God, thank you for mercy that, that forgives us of the unforgivable. Thank you for grace that gives us what we'll never deserve. Thank you for a love that loves us in spite of us. God, when we're unfit, filthy, unworthy, unholy, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for this book, God. Thank you for this this. Lord, it's like a hammer to shape us, to mold us, to, to make us, God. It's like a carving tool to carve off edges and to shape us into the image of Christ. Father, I pray you'd help us, God, Lord, to not try to shape this book around our lives, but shape our lives around this book, God. I pray, Father, you'd use it to teach each one of us, God. I pray for everybody present in this place. I pray a blessing upon their lives, a blessing upon their families, their homes, God. I ask you to go before each one of us and help us to be pleasing to you, God. You've been good to us, Father. As Tim sang about it, the goodness of God, before we even started, there's never been a day when you weren't good. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.